0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello, I'm Natalia Shpilova-Said. I'm the host of New Books in Ukrainian Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today I'm speaking with Marko Andreychik about a novel that he translated, Green Songs About Death and Love by Volodymyr Rafayenko, published by a Harvard Ukrainian Research Institute in 2022. Marko Andreychik has a PhD in Ukrainian literature from the University of Toronto, and his monograph, The Intellectualist Hero in 1990s Ukrainian Fiction, was published by the University of Toronto Press in 2012. Since 2008, uh, Marko Andreychik has administered the Ukrainian Studies program at the Harriman Institute, Columbia University, and has taught Ukrainian literature at its Department of Slavic Languages and Literatures. He's a translator of Ukrainian literature into English. In 2008-2017, in he organized the Ukrainian um, literature series, uh, co-sponsored by the Harriman and Kennan Institutes, which brought leading Ukrainian lit- literary figures to audiences in North America. Marko Andreychik is editor and compiler of The White Chalk of Days, the contemporary Ukrainian literature series anthology. Uh, and under the name Yuzhak, he has recorded three studio albums in Ukraine and has performed a series of concerts in support of these recordings, most recently at the Pizemny Perihit Vagabando uh, Ivanov-Frankivsk in August 2019. Hello, Marco, and thank you so much for joining me today.
0: Uh, Hello, Natalia. Thank you uh, so much for inviting me uh, to visit the New Books Network once again. Uh, It was great to to speak with you several years back, and I know we've been trying to schedule today's interview several times over the last several months, and I'm glad we finally
1: are able to do that. Yes, I'm, I'm very happy that we have this opportunity to speak about uh, Vladimir uh, Rafayenko's um, Montegrin songs about death and love and I would like to start with the writer himself and just a few days ago uh, his interview with uh, Marcy Shore was published and in that interview he also shared that when the full-scale uh, war Broke out uh February twenty-fourth, twenty twenty-two. Uh he found himself and uh his wife uh in the territory which was occupied by the uh Russians. Uh somehow they managed to get out of that territory and hopefully they are more or less safe today. But um I would like you to speak a little bit about Volodymyr Rafayenko. Uh
0: sure. Um and I'll take you up to to what you just mentioned but yeah so Vladimir Yanko is a writer a poet uh translator as well as a literary and film critic um born in Donetsk in 1969 uh a few months either older or younger than me I'm, I don't remember but uh he's published several award-winning novels that he has written uh in Russian over the years Um, You know, he lived and worked in Donetsk for many years, but as you mentioned, in 2014, when the Ukrainian-Russian war began in the Donbass, about a week after the pro-Russia rebels took over the city, he escaped Donetsk and he moved to Kiev and then in Kiev uh, suburbs. Um, There he decided to uh, learn the Ukrainian language and to write a novel uh, in the Ukrainian language. And that is the novel we'll be talking about today, Monda Green's songs about death and love. Um, and as you mentioned, uh, recently he had to, f- to flee his home in the Kyiv region as well as his, where he lived, the location where he lived became surrounded with uh, Russian soldiers. Uh, so once again, he had to flee within his own country. Uh, it was a very, very scary time. I remember this. Um, we were in contact, and actually my wife was involved in helping to get him out uh, through various people in Ukraine and these heroes that were found uh, that, that just, you know, another story of the amazing characters and, that have emerged in Ukraine in this horrible time that are just trying to do wonderful things. And thank God that they were able to get uh, Volodya and his wife uh, to Western Ukraine to a relatively safer, safer area.
1: So, you translated the novel, and how did you discover the novel?
0: Yeah, it was really interesting. Uh, you know, when I come to visit my friends uh, in Ukraine every year, a lot of them happen to live in the Hostomel, uh, Bucha region, uh, where Volodya ended up living. And a good friend of mine, friends of mine, Andriy Bondar and Sofika Andrukovich, uh, they were first to tell me about this writer that was living uh, in their in their dacha, uh, who had come from Donetsk, and uh, that he's writing this amazing novel, and that they're letting him stay there because they don't want to they want to give him the chance to write this. So I heard about this, you know, several years ago, and um, and then when the the novel finally was published, uh, I was in Ukraine and I picked up a copy and and, and I read it and. You know i found it to be fascinating and 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 i through andre i got in touch with Volodya and asked him if anybody's translating he said no i asked him if i could he said go for it and i just sat down and started translating and not knowing if i'd ever find a publisher for it but i just wanted my students to be able to read it uh in some fashion so that's that's how it all started
1: mm-hmm. so and uh this novel is uh rafayenko's first ukrainian language novel so, what information do we need to uh, keep in mind while um, reading this novel in terms of the, maybe, historical context?
0: Well, you mean on the linguistic level, yes? As far as language? Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, it's important, you know, it's important to know that in Ukraine there are people who speak Russians, people mm-hmm. speak Ukrainian, speak people uh, exclusively or both languages. Uh, it's important to know uh, the history of, you know, why that is the case. It's important to know, uh, you know, what's been happening with Ukrainian language in Ukrainian lands for for a very long time. Uh, you know, tsarist times where the language was severely curtailed, said to be non-existent. Uh, laws were passed so to make that uh, happen, and then in the Soviet period, uh, Great Russification, uh, arrests, marginalization, and even in, in the contemporary Ukraine, uh, 30 years, uh, you know, it was kind of a laissez-faire government program for for Ukrainian language, for Ukrainian language literature, which managed to exist amazingly because they had developed all these uh, kind of underground networks uh, during this period of repression, but with very little support. Uh, so Russian language remains the language of prestige in independent Ukraine, uh, the language of power, uh, very much so and Ukraine was was very much still marginal. You could uh, not only could you be walking in the uh, 10 years ago. You could be walking in the capital of Ukraine cave and speak Ukrainian or order something and still get a dirty look from from someone. Uh, You could be living in Ukrainian language uh, review and be unable to buy a Ukrainian language glossy magazine. Uh, This all changed um, after the war began in 2014. uh, The government finally started supporting uh, Ukrainian language more. Many people switched to Ukraine, realizing that it had been marginalized, that this didn't happen because Russian is superior in some way. Uh, and there's been a great development this way. And uh, Volodya's, is, you know, he had been a very successful Russophone Ukrainian writer, uh, publishing, uh, winning awards. And when, when Russia said that it's coming to Ukraine to save people like him from from being persecuted for this language uh, it was obviously false and he wanted to to react to that by by learning ukrainian writing a line to ukrainian and saying everywhere that that was not the case at all there was no repression so 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 language is it's, it's very important um in the background of mm-hmm. why he wrote this but it's also very important within the novel itself
1: mm-hmm. yeah and in this interview with mars shore that i mentioned at the beginning he uh, also mentioned that he will not write anything in russian anymore because he doesn't want to be associated with russian literature for many reasons because again because of all these traditions there is still this concept of russian literature but not russophone literature and he doesn't want to be associated with it
0: yeah, yeah. When I met with him, when I first met him in person last summer, um, he, I asked him what he was working on and he said that, you know, he was probably going to be writing one la- one novel in Russian, one in Ukraine, going back and forth. He even joked that uh, the Russian language uh, felt that he had cheated on her, cheated on it, you know, uh, by going to Ukraine. But he was planning on, you know, kind of doing both. And then after this latest, uh, uh, example of seeing what, what, what this is, this Russian world and how it affects his life. He, he just does not want to be associated with Russians and he's afraid if he writes in the Russian language, people are going to assume that he is is Russian.
1: Mm So I would like to uh, talk a little bit about the novel itself and about the protagonists of uh, the novel. And as you mentioned, um, the uh, novel somehow reflects on the war that actually started in 2014, not 2022. So how do you, his um, uh, protagonists process the war?
0: Yeah, and kind of tying into your, your previous question, uh, like I said, the, the language is also very important in how the plot develops in this novel in in what's happening with the, the the character the the main character protagonist uh, psychologically in the way that the, the the work is written in the language games that what i Rafenko Rafi- uses in the texts the way he uses the ukrainian language so it's 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 present there and um these this trauma of the war is certainly has damaged uh, Haba Habinsky, who is the main protagonist of the novel. And I should mention that he is also a refugee. The main protagonist, Haba, is a refugee from the Nets to the cave region and to Cave the City, uh, both um, who is also learning the Ukrainian language, just like the author did. Uh, mm-hmm. And. He is—he is damaged by the violence of the war. It affects his dreams. It affects his sense of reality, uh, how he sees his own town, how he saw what surrounded him in his own town, how it transformed people how this war transformed people to what they said what they believed how they acted but he is also just not even the war trauma of the trauma of a refugee of a displaced person um he has a hard time finding a place for himself in cave uh he feels like an other there he feels that people are suspicious of him uh because he is from the region he feels like an outsider so in the novel, he's working through these various issues, uh, and he goes back—you know—he's addressing his childhood, and his family, and in essence, his his identity.
1: So, and he also navigates across different intellectual, temporal, and geographical dimensions. Uh, what does he transmit? Uh, what's this gesture about? Uh, when there is this very dense texture, I would say, of all kinds of references. <sighs>
0: yeah the references are 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 very very uh prominent and 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 uh there are ver- there are many of them in this in this mm-hmm. novel yeah like i said it, it, the uprootedness the, the the trauma these are all things that haba deals with uh and they they affect his his sanity his 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 sense of reality uh so he's dealing in the novel mother green um the author is showing us how how is dealing with this on a personal level, of course, but he's also, uh, with these references, uh, He's also appealing to more, you know, the universal aspects of, of these questions of identity. Uh, there are so many of these, uh, like you said, references to various, I call it sampling. He's sampling various uh, different cultural, religious, philosophical systems that have tried to address these issues in the past, uh, again, on the universal level. and. You know, he sometimes haphazardly, it seems, tries this and seeks to, to help him personally get through these existential concerns. Uh, but in the novel, of course, it's not just about um, Haba and what he's experiences in these questions of memory and identity, but in general, you know, how these things are affected and how these systems can help us uh, possibly navigate uh, through these questions.
1: But at the same time there are phantasmagorical scenes, uh, just like the one with the Maes head. Um, Is this a way to somehow reconcile or is this the way to somehow find this inner balance maybe or whatever whatever word we can choose for this harmony?
0: That's a good question. yeah, I mean, again, I think what it, it, a lot of these these, uh, these images that, that that appear to him, the uh, things that he imagines, uh, it's just a way of Hoppe trying to deal with these traumas in various ways, and in in referencing uh very often his childhood though especially with with the mare's head you know he he's referencing several times in novel He references various children's stories that you know uh that, as we know they've affected all of us we we always kind of return to these things in childhood and he chooses the mare's head or the mare's head chooses him uh and it's it's the most important uh of these references to uh, to these childhood to Ukrainian folklore in this case and uh, yeah, he sees this as he goes about his day. This mare's head appears in cafes and cave. It appears in his apartment, and it's it's quite a horrific and annoying uh, creature. At most of the time, it hijacks his his learning of the Ukrainian uh, language uh, at the most inopportune times. Uh, it gets in a way of him trying to find a companionship of dating, of his romantic efforts uh, seems to sabotage them as well uh it just kind of never leaves him alone uh but yet again it also i don't want to give too many things away but it it also leads him uh to very important places that actually point to some kind of possible healing Uh, so it's it's a very interesting um way of, of showing how this protagonist develops in the novel and it appearing, like you're saying, uh, I think are all a part of this process. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, well, um, I, uh, one, I would like to go back to this uh, issue about references, and uh, I wonder how this uh, amount of references might influence the reader's experience, since you mentioned that you would like your students to read this novel, and I'm wondering if your students already had an opportunity to discuss it with you and what the impressions are.
0: Yeah, thank you for that question. Always happy to talk about my students. Uh, I'm very happy also that my students were among probably the first to have read this, because I just happen to have been teaching. Uh, I teach three different courses in Ukrainian literature. And this year, I was teaching my course uh, on contemporary Ukrainian literature this past spring. Uh, and I had scheduled uh, the reading of this novel as part of the syllabus. So, And then the translation had just come out during the class. So they were able to read it, were able to discuss it. Uh, and three well let me count actually none of my none of my students are of Ukrainian background at all so a lot of the references i think were very important and you know, in, why you know there's almost a hundred footnotes here that i had to, to to uh provide um and you know i read the, i did this for a reason of course there's different ways of doing this you know you could have published this novel without any footnotes you know and not have uh have the readers just read it and see what they can get on their own and maybe it's not that important that they get these illusions but you know i think it's very important in a novel such as this because it's intertextuality is so important uh to you know what's happening in a novel, but also it tells a story of Ukraine. And you know, as we have learned uh, in the last several months, the world knows very little about Ukraine. And I don't think it's horrible if we can provide notes uh, to provide some kind of subtext to, to to these things. And we decided with the publishers, and it is an academic publisher, so you know it. it, it is to be used in the classroom, not just, but uh, in a classroom, so it is a teaching uh, tool. Uh, but we decided to put them in as note, endnotes, uh, and not as footnotes, so that if anybody just wants to read it through, and I should say one of my students read it all the way through without looking at the notes. And then after our class discussion, uh, where the other students read the notes and said they were very helpful, and they really enjoyed that, she said she's gonna read it again uh, with the notes. And uh, so it's, it would be interesting to talk to her after that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I think it can be read either way but uh I'm happy that the footnotes are there and you know that we we provided them because I think they're essential and like I say I think it's if anything we can give people knowledge about Ukraine uh I think we
1: should and what is specifically in your your opinion that this book might help audiences understand about uh ukraine because yes there is this question about languages but does this book um, uh, really illuminate this issue of russian ukrainian uh, language in ukraine Uh, and um, the difficulty for probably many ukrainians outside ukraine is that when we start talking about ukraine we very often receive this comment oh that's very overwhelming because there is so much unknown information so um I mean to uh, to uh, other audiences I mean so in, in your opinion what this book could teach us or...
0: uh well yeah I mean the the, the word you use overwhelming certainly this novel can be overwhelming it's not a you know, easy reading text. I would never say it is. It's, uh, I think it's beautifully written. Hopefully I passed that along in English. Uh, And it has a playfulness that helps it get through some very difficult issues and some very dense intertextual references. Uh, It's hard to follow because often you're not sure um, you know, what's happening with its an imagination of, of the, the the protagonist or not. Uh, so it's a very challenging novel, and it could be an overwhelming in that sense. But it's also very rewarding, because Frank has taken on very, very difficult issues here, and he has chosen to do this in this manner. Uh, so uh, you know, these are not easy issues. Uh, and the way he goes about doing it, I think he's able to address them by, you know, it's pretty radical what he did. Uh, not only is he focusing on how uh, a character uh, takes on a language and how that affects his past, uh, you know, his memory, and how that affects his, his identity, uh, but also, you know, he's doing it uh, simultaneously. I think. And I think that adds another layer. Like I mentioned in my introduction to the book, uh, to this to this experiment, people call it that. But and it helps, you know, this complexity helps investigate. I think the nuances of these of these questions.
1: Mm-hmm. And what was the most challenging part for you to translate? Well, certainly a lot
0: of the references. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was, you know, a lot of looking up. Uh, I'm not that well-versed in uh russian uh culture uh and i grew up born grew up in philadelphia so that was not part of my world uh until very recently uh so there was a lot of you know asking colleagues that uh that had grown up in the soviet union who could tell me a little bit about that but that was fun to learn about uh and to see how volodya uses that even some of the ukrainian references also uh i had to learn something about that uh so that was really difficult. The, the hardest thing, I think, I love, the, I love word games. I love translating word games uh, in, in, into English. I think that's, that's the greatest challenge. Uh, I think I do that pretty well, and at least I enjoy doing that. The hardest part about translating this was when the author had many, lots of texts with technical uh, if you remember, there's a lot of science <laughs> in this novel, uh, there's a lot of scientific terms, uh, you know, it could be biology, it could be zoology, and just, you know, kind of looking up, having to look up what the exact term was, and that's like, that's a whole other language, right? That's It's in English, but it's in English that I usually don't use. So that was a bit tedious, uh, I would say, and that took a lot of time, and it wasn't too much fun. Uh, but otherwise, I, I really enjoyed translating it. Again, I I wasn't doing this for any, uh, uh, what's the word, CML taking Ukraine, Zemolvnya. I was not uh, asked to do this. I was not ordered to do this. I was not, uh, you know, this, I was doing it just because I wanted. Because I liked it and I wanted others to read it who couldn't read in Ukrainian.
1: Well, it's it's wonderful that this uh, text by Rafayenko uh, is available now to anglophone audiences. But um, I'm wondering uh, how Ukrainian literature is presented in the American curriculum, or if um, there are already some changes, or if there will be any changes so that more uh, students um, could have access to texts like this.
0: Yeah, I mean, the time we're in right now is unprecedented uh, as far as Ukrainian studies um, mm-hmm. in, in North America and I wish hopefully in Europe and other parts of the world. Um, you know, there have been, of course, several centers that have been over the years teaching Ukraine, including Ukrainian literature and doing a wonderful job with it. Uh, I've been teaching Ukraine three different courses in Ukraine literature for 15 years now. Uh, and other, of course, other universities too. Uh, so we've had courses on Ukraine. Uh, the hopefully now there will be more uh, universities that can teach Ukraine, uh, and I think there will be. Uh, hopefully, those that are have been teaching Ukraine for a while, there'll be uh, more students enrolling for them. Hopefully, Ukrainian studies will be integrated more into curriculums Mm -hmm. uh, into universities, Uh, even on the level of, you know, you have a Slavic department Mm -hmm. and most of the time a Slavic department is really just a Russian department with maybe Mm a splatter of Ukrainian or Polish or Czech courses, you know, South Slavic. But now, like, maybe you know, should be courses in Slavic stories, so not just Russian, but also Ukrainian, and also Polish, and also South Slavic, and also Czech, or you know, uh, some. Hopefully, the curriculum change in that in that uh, in that um, manner, after because of this uh, horrific war, and of course reassessment of ukraine, uh, russian studies and how it's taught uh, now you know seeing like other cultures have seen looking at it as a uh, cultural empire and looking for things in the culture that give indications of that uh so you know the time to do it is now of course um i think there will be more interest in ukraine just in my work just in the last three months just you know the interest and i'm sure you, know, you have and other people in the field have seen this uh so i think it will impact, probably not as much as we would like to, but uh, I, I think it will.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, uh, I would like you to also comment on how Ukrainian writers, right, in your opinion, could respond in the future to the current war. Unfortunately, Russia's aggression is go- uh, ongoing, and unfortunately, we do not know when it will uh, end. Uh, and some uh, Ukrainian writers, all already um uh, made the statements that they are not able to write anything right now or if they even can write right now those are just facts like descriptive facts and i remember something like that also was uh mentioned by vnichenko uh when he was observing the uh war activities and he said well i cannot and i don't not i don't even want to write anything in terms of just uh, some speculative work but just facts so um your um um thoughts on future
0: responses. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because, you know, we've already had responses, right? Because uh, 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 as we know, the war started in 2014. Uh, a lot of people don't know that, or just didn't know that, or just kind of didn't want to accept it. And there, you know, since then there's been a wealth of very interesting works in literature, in film, uh, in visual art that have addressed the war. Um, we had a wonderful conference on the subject uh, about a year before COVID hit. And uh, we, discussed, we discussed some of the works that had been written, uh, including uh, Monde Green and including *Jadan's Internats, uh, The Orphanage, uh, and, and other works. Uh, actually, and just recently, an issue of East West, uh, uh, the Canadian Institute of Ukraine Studies, uh, published articles from that conference where you can read already scholars uh examining these early war works uh that were written so it's it's kind of interesting so we have now we have two phases of this war right you had the writers already writing about it although i agree with you like back then a lot of them said it's too early to write about it. it's Mm -hmm. too early to write it but some did uh including the, the book we're talking about today and then Obviously, when things uh, got so much worse several months ago, uh, some have said it's too early to write now, but others have been writing. You know, so yeah, I think it depends on the author. Uh, it I think it's really interesting to look at the writers who have written about it earlier, uh, you know, and they're now writing about it to see how it changes because it's going to be. There are things that'll be, I think, the same in these works, but there are things that be radically different. Uh, I'm fascinated to see what what uh, Volodya is going to write, uh, what he's writing right now, about the second displacement, and then seeing this 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 evil force twice in his life. Uh, so I think it depends on the reader, uh, on the writer. Uh, but I also think there are phases in this, and perhaps you know, in 30 years when the war is over, after the, I'm not saying that the war is going to last 30 years, but even if the war is tomorrow in 30 years, you know, there'll be war, works written about it that you know will be shed light on some of the things that happened.
1: yeah unfortunately we're still observing the escalation of the current aggression but um, the only thing personally i have is that well sooner or later it will be over well thank you so much marco thank you so much for joining me today and again thank you um for bringing uh vladimir rafayenko's Green to anglophone audiences
0: Thank you so much, Natalia, for letting me talk about this book. I, I enjoyed working on it, and I think it's important work. And hopefully, uh, your listeners will get a copy and 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 see what what I saw in it uh, and enjoy it. Thanks.
1: Uh, Today I spoke with Marko Andreychik about a novel by Volodymyr Rafayenko that he translated Mondegrin's Songs about Death and Love, published by Harvard Ukrainian Research Institute in 2022. Thank you for listening to New Books in Ukrainian Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network.